Welcome to the House of Trust. My name is Sylvain Moison, and in every episode, my aim is to be a thinking environment with an inspiring leader who loves to invest in social and environmental change. Together, we take the time to be and think, and we talk about the attitude, the thoughts, the feelings that you need to ignite and grow a positive social and environmental impact. Now we could influence or direct capital to enable us to do so. And I invite you to think along. Today, my guest is Belinda Bell, who has had an interesting journey from social enterprise to social finance. She is the co-director of the Finance for Systemic Change Center, Department of Land Economy at the University of Cambridge. She's a fellow in social innovation at the Cambridge Church Business School. That's a wonderful building, actually. And uh, is Senior Research Associate at Jesus College in Cambridge. And I'm curious to learn from Belinda about her work with universal owners. We'll look into that, what it is, what they represent, what we can do about that. And I'll look into her thoughts about long and short-term horizons and what that quest for impact means for her. Hello, Belinda. How are you today? Hi, Stefan. I'm very well. Nice to see you. Let's start on a high. If you had literally up to five words, not six, just five, to share about yourself and describe who you are and what you stand for, what would they be? So I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hopeful and cynical and um, and I'm angry. And um, I get angrier, you know, every year, it seems. Okay, curious, hopeful, cynical, and angry. And now, how did all these words, these these ways for you to be, you know, supported you in your journey from social enterprise to social finance? Maybe you were not cynical before, were you? Oh, I think I started out pretty cynical and pretty angry as well, you know? Yeah, you know, as a young person, I suppose I looked at the world around me and it seemed like it wasn't very fair. Um, and that seemed you know not right <laughs> and uh I suppose one doesn't you know you don't necessarily understand how it is or why it is that the world isn't fair but it patently isn't fair and unfortunately as the years have passed the, the world is still not fair um and but we have to maintain hope uh but we also have to be very distrustful when institutions or organizations or people tell us that they're going to change and they're going to get better and they keep saying this but but change doesn't happen so we have to be curious and hopeful so we can find new solutions and find new paths, but also acknowledge that for some of us individuals, it's really tiring and really hard work and makes you really angry that we're still in this situation. So um, you're starting on a very strong note here because you're suggesting that we hold all these paradoxes at the same time to be able to stay awake and adjust and change. Yeah, there, there is, I guess, some people are in a tendency to sort of brush under the carpet how how very grim things are. And that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But for those of us that really want to engage with the world, my view is that to change the world, you have to like properly engage with it first. And that involves acknowledging it and looking at some of the things that are really bad and then trying to find ways to change them. And then in my sort of career as well, thinking we found ways and then those ways not actually shaping into what we'd hoped so failing 
and and then trying again because we because we have hope because we only have the one life so you you know you work on the hope that's a short term isn't it so tell us about your journey from social enterprise to social finance mm. you've got five minutes <laughs> Well, I mean, in a sense, I started in social finance and ended in there as well. And it's sort of annoying because I'm not in the least bit interested in money. Um, it's just that if we live in a capitalist system, then we that's where the power is. So I started working in London years ago in a, a community development finance institution, lending money to social enterprises. So there I learned both about the power of capital and access to capital um, and also about social enterprises, which was this is right at the beginning of the new Labour government. It was kind of a new concept for, a, for an old thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. So in due course, I, I went and set up my own community finance organization. So using debt to uh, support entrepreneurs in general, not just social entrepreneurs, but the organization itself as a social enterprise. Um, and then after that, I set up a, a couple of other social enterprises before coming to the University of Cambridge, where I set up the programs that teach social entrepreneurs kind of how to do social enterprise and as you know a big part of that world is about funding a kind of outsized part of that world is about is about funding and capital and investment it's always disproportionately emphasized um you know financial capital is only one of the things you need to get a business off the ground a social business or otherwise and it's overly emphasized in my view so yeah so that all, all of that took I suppose 20 years but uh at the end of that period I really came to the view that social enterprise was not able to rapidly enough address the problems that our economy is throwing up for us and by that I mean the challenges the planet faces you know climate change biodiversity loss whatever but also systemic risks such as inequality that are fundamentally part of the capitalist system as we're currently doing it Mm -hmm. I came to think that social enterprise was not able to address those challenges in the time frame that we have available. And also, and it, it, everybody in social enterprise is lovely. That goes without saying, you know, they're lovely, lovely people. It was hard to leave. But I actually think that on the whole, in my own work, uh, rather than speak for other people, that I may have done more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Social enterprise, by its existence, gives a sort of facelift to to mainstream business uh, and uh, a kind of unwarranted facelift, if you will. And for all the examples of genuine social entrepreneurs doing really, really great work, all of that enables greenwashing and social washing of mainstream businesses. And also, social enterprise doesn't really engage with the fundamental problem on the whole, um, which which is kind of overconsumption and the neoliberal economy. So. Um, so it doesn't critique what's at the at the core of the overconsumption that, that's driving much of the challenges we see in the world. Mm-hmm. That's going to open up some thinking here. And I wonder, had the importance of finance been less, you say, because it was, you know, uh, overemphasized, if finance had been less out there, would have social enterprise had another avenue Hmm. I think that's a really interesting way to think about it because we get so boxed into um, this mindset of enterprise uh, being the solution to things. And, we, you know, we see this over the last decades with charities feeling they need to be entrepreneurial or, you know, kind of 
sort of programs that encourage, you know, if you do a bit of trading, we'll give you a bit of grant on top. This idea that trading is, is, is a fundamental good. And this doesn't leave space for civil society, for voluntary action, for, you know, loving and laughing, you know, all of that stuff that really, really matters um, and that makes us human um, can get crowded out by this unnecessarily prominent voice of, of entrepreneurship. And we see this in, you know, it's kind of comical, really, when, when, when management consultants come into charities and tell them how to do things or indeed into the government and, to, and tell them how to do things, because applying an entrepreneur or business mindset to all of our all the elements of our world is not what any of us. Really, that's not really a world that I think most of us want to live in. Mm. Are you advocating for a post growth life here? Um well, so post growth does come with a bunch of associated kind of, I suppose, uh, uh, ideologies. And um, it's like if we think about this globally in terms of justice, we have to be really cautious about that. Right. Uh, it's all very well for middle class people in academia like myself to talk about such things. Um, but we need to find a just way of sustaining the planet and our populations through the next years ahead. It's interesting. I was I've done a little bit of work recently thinking about fertilizer usage. And it's such a great example because overuse of fertilizer is a terrible pollutant and a terribly bad thing and, and happens in many areas. But there are also significant areas of the world where underuse of fertilizer means that an insufficient crop are being grown to feed people mm. and that means that crops are being grown over a larger area which means there's less space for biodiversity mm. so it's not that we need to not have fertilizer we need to have appropriate use of fertilizer so the uh, the beauty or the gems are in the detail mm. the refining design and really think through these kind of yes it's quite quite hard to do broad brush things, particularly when we when those of us in, in in the global north have to or should be constantly thinking about rebalancing and correcting the injustices of the past. And it's very hard for me, from my position, to like know how things might what we don't work through in other contexts. So humility is really important in that. Mm. So I guess that's the key takeaway so far from your quest to impact, Melinda. What are your other takeaways? from your quest to impact today? Well, things that appear to be radical can very often turn out to be maintaining the status quo. Um, and I think we can say that basically for the social finance movement that I entered uh, like 20 odd years ago, which was talking at that time of kind of radical reconceptualizing of how finance worked and how and how capital was uh, acquired and used, um, and for the most part, like that simply hasn't happened. And and not only that, we now have a kind of social finance field for the most part, which is a, a sort of like kind of weak reflection of of uh, of regular finance, which kind of you know wasn't the point. And there are parts of um, the the sector that, that kind of avoid these and uh, and the stuff going on particularly in, among amongst cooperatives and mutuals uh, and and globally which is radical but it's really interesting how frequently radical um, things turn out to to either lose their kind of radical edge you know or, or to somehow be subsumed by the status quo. And I think about that for myself as an individual. You know, I operate within the university as a 
as an outsider, but like, how long can I be inside the university and still retain that outside outsider mindset? That's a that's a question for us if we do this sort of work from within big institutions. So there again, another par- paradox to uh, flex your muscle. Any other takeaway from your quest to impact you want to share with us? Something maybe that wasn't calling all your angry or cynical side, but what about the curious and hopeful side? Well, the good news is that um, most people are, are really decent people trying to do good things. And I mean that for most people like across the board in, in all of our uh, institutions or families or you know community groups or whatever. That is so that's so reassuring. So I'm not cynical about people. People like want to share, they want to collaborate, they want to cooperate. And if we frame that as normal, then it's easier for people to do so. And I think that ideas around kind of norm formation are really important about how we can normalize the kind of world that we want to see and live it in advance of it being here. Mm, normalize the world we want to see, bring the future here make it a norm mm. okay let's talk about universal owners i see the definition universal owners are institutional asset owners are pension funds mutual funds insurance companies sovereign wealth funds etc that own such a representative slice of the economy is to find it impossible to diversify away from large system-wide risk so what do you do with this at the moment that sounds like a big chunk of work so yes, after I um after I left uh, the kind of social enterprise field directly, I've um found myself working with a, a colleague, Dr. Alan Quigley, on work related to universal ownership. And you just kind of read out one of those de- definitions there, Savant. So yeah, universal owners are uh, they they own the largest pools of capital in the world. They're pension funds, endowment funds, sovereign wealth funds, and these are really interesting pools of capital because if you're um an endowment fund or a pension fund, you really have a long-term vision you're thinking about how do i maintain this endowment over decades or hundreds of years and if you're a pension fund you're thinking how do i pay this teacher their pension in 30 years time so they have a much longer term time horizon than, than we think of in the finance sector in general and also they're really really big pools of capital which means they they can't divest from all the bad things because basically everything's a bit bad. So then they've got lots of money. So they have to put it somewhere. So and they have to diversify across because that's how we manage big pools of money well is to diversify. And in this case, what we find is that if a universal owner has in their portfolio a particular firm, they might not want that particular firm to maximize its profits if in maximizing its profits, it causes externalities which damage the rest of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. So if we have somebody pumping out, I don't know, air pollution that's making the workers in the country sick, say, that's going to make it hard for my other companies to work because all the workers are sick. Mm-hmm. And so it's about thinking about externalities because there is no externalities. There's just feedback loops that haven't fed back yet. And we're seeing them start to feed back now. Mm-hmm. And so interestingly, these universal owners that have such enormous wealth are also potentially very, very well positioned to help us address systemic risk and systemic challenge um, because they they have this long-term vision and because they have a diversified portfolio. So they can see that if parts of their portfolio are causing damage to the underlying systems that we all depend on, and that might be 
the environment, but it could also be stable societies. If they're, if they're causing damage to that, then at some point your portfolio loses value. And so the work that we do now is working with universal owners to help them to think about how they can steward our systems so that um, so that we can uh, navigate the, the years ahead. Well, that sounds simple. What are the main <laughs> challenges uh, that you face in, you know, bringing these people along? Well, again, people are really positive people. You know, I, I mean, my view is that most people are sort of desperate for, for answers and, and, and to do what they can to change things. But this particular work has not historically been um, widely done. And uh, so, so it is like uh, thinking about things in a new way. Uh, it's introducing new terms, drawing connections between interconnected areas. And this, of course, is the one of the challenges of working with things systemically is, it, is it's hard to put boundaries around where one bit ends and one bit, one bit begins. But we have to, I suppose, demonstrate and act in hope to show that there are ways um, that these very, very large owners of the companies that we all interact with every day can, can influence those companies to, uh, to change their practices now, quickly, um, to help um, us all thrive in the future. What do you need? What do I need? Yeah, to make this work happen more quickly. Well, it'd be nice if we started a few decades ago. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a problem, right? The uh, the shortage of, of time, mm -hmm. the shortage of resources. We don't have a huge resources on our team, but also when we're trying to change ways of thinking or add new layers of thinking, um, people need time to get up to speed with that. Um, and yet we don't sort of have time. So it's interesting. Some of the work we do is about trying to work collaboratively to demonstrate quick wins so that the practice of working in this way becomes uh you know tested i suppose so that we can move forward more rapidly so working quickly but needing more time mm, mm. there's a lot of paradoxes in half yeah. an hour <laughs> yeah and i think that's so interesting you mentioned at the beginning about uh, i think you said something about the, yeah thinking thinking into the future or, or near and far future and you know i think what this is talking a paradox i think one of the challenges that the environmental sector has had is in demonstrating that there's positive hope but if we do that then it takes away the incentive for immediate action and so that's quite a difficult balance right because we don't want everyone to despair and give up and that's a real concern amongst young people um but on the other hand it we need to be very serious about the urgency that we need to address things in so it is interesting thinking about here at Cambridge, we have the colleges have endowments and, you know, this is an 800 year old institution. It thinks in really long timescales um, mm -hmm. and that's fabulous. Um, but we need really rapid change in real, you know, in, in kind of real actions right now. And so that it is quite difficult holding both of those things to be true. So if you were given, you know, one, one asset or one tool, one maybe a sliver on time what what more what more would you do to advance that work what more would you think feel do or say to advance that work i think we don't know enough unfortunately about how to actually get people to do things <laughs> so this is like it becomes a social science and a social psychology question because um we, we we know from 
the, on climate change, right? We know from the science things need to be done. We, we know from the economics that things need to be done. But how do you actually get people to do things? Like this question about mm. how behavior is actually changed, it's really complex. Um, and again, it's sort of interesting because historically the social sciences, I kind of always think, well, I think that it's right, have been sort of gendered, right? And think, think thought of as, as feminine, but it turns out they're just really hard. And uh, this is why women, women had to focus on it. And uh, unfortunately, it, we, this this is really interesting question about even when people know what that what they can do or what they should do or what what would be a good thing to do you know a range of things sometimes stop them actually doing it and so working to know more about what is the the hand holding is it i think sometimes in the past people thought well people need more education but we give them more education and still change doesn't happen so it's not education what is is it the hand holding is it collaborators you know what what is, is it shaming people is it being really angry at people probably not <laughs> what are, but what are the things that actually enable people to do things differently because i think as humans we many of us tend to not like change well i don't know if it's the answer but you've just given me a massive insight today by being able to hold paradoxes and do that kind of impact work and advance in it and making judgment calls and also gather rapid, r- fantastic insights. The capacity to hold paradoxes hope to maybe move on. And so it's, I wonder, and, and again, that's the question I'm asking you and a question I'm asking also the audience, which I, I invite to think along is um, to invite people to do stuff, isn't that uh, as well, giving them the permission to you know, be hopeful and angry at the same time, not being either one or the two direction, but going two direction at the same time. What do you think? I conscious the the older I get that to, to, to recognize that there are different personality types and some people may not need that. Mm-hmm. But for me, well, the hope is a practice in its, for me, I couldn't carry on with, with, without, without that. And there seems no point in just being angry and shouty um but i worry about people burning out and just you know being frustrated i worry particularly about young people working in our movement but in general the people's anger like might eventually burn itself out or become uh, ineffective because again coming back to what i said most people are decent people trying to do the right thing or wanting to do the right thing so we have to try to understand the barriers to change and this is very frustrating it's very frustrating but also you know if it was easy like somebody else would have done it already um and if, easy, if it was easy it wouldn't be fun like personally i kind of you know like to do things that are challenging i'd, I'd also, also like to think that we could actually succeed so yeah, we'll see there's hope as well. And there's, yeah, the belief that we can succeed. Mm. Well, thank you so much for that warm bath into paradoxes, the paradoxes of now, paradoxes in the future, and to explain as well how you work with these uh, universal owners and your journey from social finance to social enterprise back to social finance. That's it for today. What an amazing set of insights. And I wonder what what about you, what came up for you, if you like, to... Uh, dig deeper into the topic and 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 also try other questions for yourselves i think you can just re-listen this show but also dive in the whole podcast series that contains a lot of uh, juicy questions as well 
And it's available to listen to anywhere you love to find your podcast. And it's completely free. So you just type in B and think in the house of trust. Um, share the love, subscribe, leave a review. And for more conscious innovation, insights, events, and wayfinding resources, hop onto my website and subscribe to my monthly update. See you next time in the lounge of the House of Trust. Keep asking questions. Keep thinking. Bye-bye.